Hey everyone, this episode is obviously shorter than normal, but that might be okay because that might give you time to listen to it twice. Um, I'll be honest, it is absolutely packed with content. Uh, This is actually a recording of a teaching I did where I dug into 2 Timothy chapter 4 and discussed some pretty hard realities about where we turn when we want to choose our own truth from the Bible. I'll try to include any relevant info in the show notes, including the video recording, but I'd also encourage you to write down anything that stands out to you. Like I said, there's a lot here, and it'll be easy to forget something that God brings to your attention. Now, for those who haven't heard my teaching recordings before, I do this out at Sailorville Church in Des Moines, Iowa. They've got a program called Gospel-Centered Recovery that wants men and women who struggle with enslaving addictions to be transformed by the gospel of Christ and to see freedom over their sin. And I will, of course, have a link to that down in the show notes as well if you'd like to check it out. And I suppose one final note is that if you hear anything in this that you'd like to understand better or maybe you feel I didn't explain clearly enough, uh, be sure to reach out to me. I'll have my contact info down in the show notes uh, because I, I very much believe that this is an episode and a topic that people really need to hear and I really want followers of Christ to truly understand and take it to heart so that at the end of the day, we can truly love God through the word that he's revealed. Well, it is um, genuinely an honor and a privilege to be here again. Um, I don't say that to be politer because that's what you're supposed to say when you get up to speak. Um, Honestly, one of my favorite things in life is just to go to a place where people are hungry for truth. They're not just there to tick off a box. They're not just there because someone told them to be. They they know that God's word has what they need and they are hungry for it. Um, And so that is why, honestly, I keep coming back to GCR is it's just such an incredible environment where I get to come and be a Bible nerd with all of you. Um, so tonight is uh, kind of exciting for me. I don't think I've ever gotten to close out one of the books that um, all of you have been studying. Um, so that is kind of an exciting thing for me, and especially Second Timothy, which uh, is just such a solid practical book. Um, I just love it, so I was excited to be able to get this one. So uh, for those of you who, um, you know, you, you've been at this for uh, three weeks now, so just to um, recap kind of what you all have been going through. So in first, our Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul reminds Timothy to stay true to sound teaching and don't turn away from the truth. In chapter 2, he reminds Timothy to stay true to sound teaching and don't turn away from the truth. Now, chapter 3, he mixes it up and says, hey, don't turn away from the truth, stay true to sound teaching. So, as I close this out tonight, we're going to be so unique and different and just go in a totally different direction, and we're going to talk about why we need to stay true to sound teaching, and why we don't want to turn away from the truth, or what will happen when we do turn away from the truth. So um, typically I try to go through the full uh, passage that I'm going through and then uh, go back through it, but for sake of time, this is a bit of a chunky one. So we're just going to go kind of a passage by passage here, but we're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 9. So the first thing we'll talk about is verses 1 through 2 which says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, the the one to really focus on here that's going to lead us into our bigger talk tonight is that uh, last part there where he starts off by saying to preach the word. Now, the context of this is that Paul is a pastor and church planter, and he is writing to another pastor. So we can be a little 
weirded out when we see to preach the word, right? Because we can think of preaching in two different ways. One is to stand up and preach, right? Like, like the pastor does every Sunday. The other is to um, preach in the terms of teaching and proclaiming a truth to people. So today, I'm not going to tell all of you to become pastors, but I will say that we are encouraged and called to make God's word foremost in the truth we believe and in what we're doing in our lives. Um, And from that, he says to be ready in season and out of season. Now, this is our call for readiness. So we want to not just study the Bible and know what God's word says whenever we know we need to give it to someone. So for example, if you know that uh, you're going to go to a friend and you're going to, you know, maybe they're unsaved or maybe they're struggling and that's the time you dive into God's word. That's a good time, right? You're trying to be ready in season. You're trying to be ready by understanding the truth of God's word when it's going to be called on. But Paul also calls for us to be ready out of season when we aren't preparing, when we don't necessarily have an objective reason to study a particular book or passage in the Bible. So Paul is calling us, always be in God's Word, always be studying it, always be knowing it. It's not just enough to read it necessarily, right, as if we're just looking at words on a page, but to study God's Word, to understand what it says. And from there, he calls for Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So weird words, essentially what he's saying is to use it to prove truth to people, to rebuke them, right, to call on people if they are in sin or in error, and to exhort or to encourage them. Now, the important thing here is he talks about to do it with complete patience and teaching. So we need to do it in a teaching manner, right? Teaching isn't just saying, hey, here's the truth, deal with it, but helping someone understand why this is true. Now, how are we to do that? Well, for a lot of you, this might be something you heard a week ago, but if we look back just a few sentences, because remember, the, book, the letter to Timothy is literally just a letter, right? Or an email, a text message, whatever we do today. But it is all one continuous flow of thought. And so as Timothy and his church and other churches would have been reading this, when he says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, they would have known exactly how they were supposed to do it and what they were supposed to use for it. They weren't supposed to be clever. They weren't supposed to be passionate. They weren't supposed to use you know, good arguments or power or anything like that. Because Paul had already told Timothy what we use to rebuke, reprove, and correct. And that's back in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, which you all saw last week. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's given by God. It's not men's opinion. It's breathed out by God. And it's profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, and correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what Paul's really getting at here as he kind of winds down this letter to Timothy is that God's word is not just a good thing in our lives. It's not just a valuable thing or something we should find as important. It is meant to be our absolute authority in every area of our lives. Whenever we are not sure what to do, we go to God's word to get wisdom and truth. Whenever we hear something that we're not sure about, we hold it up against God's word to say, does this match what God's word reveals? If not, we reject it because God's word trumps any other truth in life. We use it to to correct our error, but also to be encouraged when we need that encouragement. God's word touches every single area of our lives. Now, Paul calls on Timothy to do this, right? To value God's word, to make it so important in his life. But then Paul goes on and he warns what happens when we don't, when we don't make God's word the highest priority in our lives. And that's going to move us on to verses three and four, which says, 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, I really like this word picture because he's saying that there's people who their ears are going to be bothering them, right? They're going to be itchy. Now, you consider the context um, of where they said, you know, they didn't have really good ear, nose, and throat doctors to where if your ears were itching you, you just needed relief. And the best thing you could hope for is some kind of weird grandma's herbal remedy, right? But so he, he's telling them that there's going to be people who they're, they're going to be agitated. They're going to be unsettled. They're going to be unrested. And they're going to look for people who will scratch that itch, who will give them the relief that they are seeking. Now, Paul's not talking about a medical problem here, right? Because he starts off by saying that people won't endure sound teaching, but instead they're going to be unsettled. They're going to search for someone to give them something that they want that does not require them to sit under sound teaching. Now, again, context is important, right? We want to think about, okay, what was Paul and Timothy dealing with then so that we can better understand how we apply that to our lives today? So I want to just look briefly at what, what teachers that people were accumulating for themselves, what kind of beliefs people were chasing after because they were not staying rooted in God's word. So um, really good thing to look at here is actually Paul's first letter to Timothy. Uh, so, 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 and 4 says, So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Later on, he reemphasizes this and says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And that last little warning is, again, giving us an either-or, right? Either you give in to silly, irreverent myths, or you are training yourself for godliness. And again, if we look at what he said in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God is valuable for training in godliness. So we can read that, though, and especially knowing the historical context, this was at the time of the Greek and Roman gods where you know, there was a god for everything and a shrine everywhere. So when we see myths, it's tempting to think, oh, if I don't stay true to God's word, I'm going to go chasing after something that's not Christianity or something that's not found in the Bible. But no, that is not Paul's concern. Uh, we see this in Titus, and I don't want to take away too much from next week. Uh, Titus chapter 1, 12 to 13 says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. Again, Paul is giving us a contrast. There are people who are turning away from the truth because they are not staying rooted in God's word, and therefore they're chasing after myths. But the key there is that they are Jewish myths. These aren't pagan myths. This isn't myths like Hercules and Zeus and Hera. These are myths that are found in the Jewish, what we would call the Old Testament, right? The, the book of the law that they had. There were Jews in that time who were using their word of God that they had at the time, and they were leading people away from the truth of God. So today, what I want to warn us about is not the danger of read your Bible or else you're going to go you know, worship a pagan god, but instead read your Bible or you're going to start following people and following beliefs that seem biblical but are just as ungodly as any other false belief out there. And I say that because... I lost my slide on here. Okay, so... 
so he, he warns to, you know, there's going to be a time where people will accumulate for themselves people to suit their passions or suit their desires, right? Um, now, a lot of times when we talk about this passage, the number one thing, if you've ever heard anyone talk about this, is the warning against false teachers. And I'll go ahead and go there. It's an easy one, but it's a valuable one. So the first thing I want to talk about is um, in the three ways that we seek people to suit our desires is how we will seek false teachers to itch our ears and to give us what we want while they're holding a Bible. And what I'm going to do is something that might make people uncomfortable, but I'm actually going to give examples. Now, in our culture today, that might seem mean because, oh, you can't call people out. You can't put people on blast like that. But God's Word actually says I can. So in Ephesians 5.11, Paul says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And so my goal here is to expose these things, not to shame anyone, not to be mean or to elevate myself over these people, but instead to show a, a smattering of examples so that we can see what kind of, of um, approaches various false teachers take. Because there are going to be some on here that might actually surprise some of you. So the first ones I want to talk about are Christ deniers. Uh, we see this in Bill Johnson of Bethel Church. We see it in T.D. Jakes. And we see it in liberal theology. And when I say liberal theology, don't think politics. Liberal theology is basically when people like the stuff that the Bible says, except for the weird spiritual stuff. So it's people who want to deny the deity of Christ and say, you know, Christ was a good teacher. You know, he gave some good stuff to live by and things like that. Um, but these are people who they basically deny the reality of who Jesus Christ is. They don't deny he existed because even atheist historians have to admit that Jesus Christ really did live. But instead, they diminish him so much that the Christ they teach cannot save. They may call him Jesus Christ. They may use Bible verses that talk about this Jesus Christ. But the Christ they teach offers no salvation. He is just as much of a false god as Zeus was. He just happens to be called Jesus Christ when they talk about him. Another one to watch out for are false prophets. Um, Todd White is the one that I think of, um, but Pentecostalism in general. Um, really, false prophets are in almost every category I'm going to be talking about here because what false prophets do is they say, I have a word from the Lord. God told me to tell you this. Now, we may think of that and it's like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's nice. You know, maybe God did. Who are we to judge? We should judge, though, because what you do is if, if I go up to you and I say, I have a word from the Lord and God told you to give me 50 bucks and you don't obey, you're not just being mean to me and denying me 50 bucks. You are directly disobeying the word of God. Right? Now, if that's true, then if you have these people who stand up and say, God told me to say this, or, you know, God's given me a word, or, you know, God made me a prophet, and he's saying, you know, to, to send money to this ministry and he will bless you. If God did not directly tell them that, not just give them a weird fuzzy feeling, not just give them a funny dream, but directly tell them, then they are blaspheming the name of God. They are actually breaking one of the Ten Commandments, which says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That's not just treating God's name like a swear word. That is literally using the name of God in a way that is not truly reverencing who he is. So you have people in Pentecostalism where anyone can be a prophet. You have uh, you know, whole ministries built on someone being a prophet of the Lord. And they use the Bible, right? But if we don't understand our Bible well enough, we're not going to know what the issues are with the things that they're saying or the things that they're doing. And we're going to follow along with them on their merry march to hell. 
Next are con men. Now, that might be a mean name, but um, I actually like the word con men because it comes from the, um, the root word of confidence men. And these were old-fashioned shysters who would go around and they would build people's confidence in them and saying, hey, give me your money and I'm going to turn it around and buy you a, bri a bridge in Brooklyn, right? That's the classic one. That is what these people would do, is they would make people trust them so much that they would give the money that they have spent their hours, their, their blood, sweat, and tears earning because they trust this person so much that they're going to get a profit on their return. So examples of this, and I, I don't have enough slides to handle all these, I think, but we've got Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, and just so much more. Anyone that asks you for money so that you can get something, just lump them in there. Um, but what these people do, though, is you see this a lot in the prosperity gospel, right? Sow your money into this ministry and God will bless you. You know, plant the seed of a thousand dollars and God will grow it into ten thousand dollars. And, you know, you need to speak against your bank account and prophesy against it and say, you are no longer empty. I believe you are full. That's what these people do. I, it's, it's funny and I'm. I'm trying to be nice so that I don't get mean about it, but this is what they do. Uh, you also see it with faith healers, right? Um, you know, if, if, you know if, you're, if you're out there with cancer, if you're sick, if your mom is sick, then just, you know, text 555-1349 and, you know, say I pledge $50 and your mother will be miraculously healed. Or we'll send you a little uh, square piece of paper with some writing on it and you lay it on her and you pray over it and she will be healed. I kid you not, I received one of those in the mail a few years ago. But that's what these people do. They say, trust me, give me your money and God will bless you in return. You will get something out of it. That $100 will get turned into $1,000. That $1,000 will turn into $10,000 or will turn into uh, success at your job or healing or fame or prosperity or power. Whatever you want, I can give it to you. Just give me a few bucks. And they will use God's word convincingly to trick people out of their money because other people don't know God's word enough to understand better. And then the last one are moralists. Now, a lot of people might be a little iffy on this one. Um, the th first three, we've got Christian nationalists, QAnon, if you've ever heard that, uh, or dominionists. What all three of these have in common is they basically say, for our context here in America, we need to retake America and make it God's country again. We need to, to, to set up biblical laws so that people will obey the Bible. What they are teaching is works or salvation by works. They're saying if we can make people act Christian, be Christian, behave like Christians, then we've won. We've done the work of Jesus Christ in America because we make people do and act. That is not gospel. That is not what Jesus Christ calls us to. He calls us to obey because we love God, not obey to prove that we love God. We don't obey to earn salvation. We obey because of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Now, the rest here, Roman Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, any other weird group that uses God's word, same thing, right? Do this, act a certain way, and hope that at the end of life, your scales will balance out and God will let you into heaven. Or uh, we're not going to into Mormonism, but same basic idea, right? Do good, do enough good, follow the Bible enough, have good actions. I don't care about your heart. I don't care why you do it. Just as long as you appear good and appear righteous, that's all you need. That is false teaching. That is giving us a Jesus. That is giving us a salvation that does not truly save. And at the end of life, the people who follow this stuff, who don't truly understand who Jesus Christ is, all people here are going to stand before the Lord. And if they tr have not truly understood Jesus Christ and asked him to save them from their sins, 
Christ is going to look at them and say, yeah, you did all the stuff in my name. You used the Bible every week on your televangelist show. You know, you, you bought all the books. You, you had all the good behaviors, but you are not forgiven. You are not redeemed. You have not been forgiven. I have not paid the price for your sin. And so those people will have to pay the price for their sin all on their own for eternity. That is one way that we seek people to suit our desires, is we want this stuff, right? Now, again, I put, I put names out there, and it'd be tempting to think, oh, you know, those people are horrible. They're monsters. They deserve to go to hell. I'm going to argue that they are not the problem. A lot of times we want to think, oh, you know, uh, Benny Hinn and, and Joel Osteen, you know, they're just, they're so brilliant, and they just trick all these people. But they don't. They are marketing geniuses and nothing else. Because what is the number one rule of marketing? You either fill a need that someone thinks they have, or you offer them a lifestyle or identity that they think they want. And that's all these people do. They give people precisely what they want. And they do exactly what Paul is warning us about here. So look at what I put in bold here. A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. The teachers aren't the, bo- the problem, the people are. And what are they going to do? They will accumulate for themselves. They will go out and seek. They will grab. They will find anyone who will give them the relief that they are seeking. And what are they going to do? They will turn away from listening to truth, and they will wander off into myths and lies that use God's word to proclaim a false gospel. The whole goal here, though, is for people to get told what they want to hear. They want to hear that they can be powerful. They want to hear that they can be rich. They want someone to say, hey, God will let you fulfill all the needs and desires your greedy little heart can come up with. And they will give you Bible verses to give you permission to believe it. But if no one wanted what they were selling, they would be in the poorhouse. They would have no one following them because nobody would want what they're already offering. So this is why we have to put God's word foremost in our minds. Not so that we can stay away from these false teachers and not be tricked by them, but so that we don't reach out and bring them to us. So that we don't hear what they're saying and say, yes, that is so much better than having to suffer for the sake of Christ. That is so much better than me having to find my identity in Christ and not in who I am or my job or my family or whatever. If we do not value God's word, that is exactly what we're going to go doing. Now the next one. I'm just going to tell you, I do not have time to fully dig into this, but I think it is important to say in the context of this. So psychology is another way that we seek people to tell us what we want to hear. I have spent seven hours on my podcast. I have spent 14 pages, all single-spaced, on my documents writing about this and talking about this on my blog and my podcast. This is not a shameless plug or anything like that. This is me literally saying I do not have time. If you want to understand more, I have the website up there, onwardinthefaith.com slash Christians dash and dash psychology. There's also a QR code. You can just get your camera out and get it in, um, in focus, and it will open up the web page. And that will give you the series page where you can look at the, the blogs that I've written and the podcasts that I've recorded that really gets into this. If you have to choose one or the other, I think the podcast is significantly better with this one. Um, but the... the stripped down basic version of this is that psychology is founded on secularism, on naturalism, right? There is no spiritual realm. There's no spiritual component. Everything in life can be explained through the natural world. Therefore, all of our problems can be explained for natural reasons and fixed by natural reasons. Now, as Christians, we want to introduce God in there somewhere, right? But here's the problem is if we are 
using the foundations of psychology that says everything is based on your biology, your upbringing, um, or uh, 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 you know, just kind of your, your thoughts, right? your negative thoughts, then all their diagnoses are going to just be, hey, here's your natural problem. Here's why it's not your fault. And so their solutions are likewise going to be fixing that problem. And so as Christians, we want to introduce Christ in there somewhere, but the sad reality is that we can only do that at the solution stage. So we already let the world tell us what is wrong with us. We let the world tell us how to fix it, and then we try to find some Bible verses that kind of help. The big problem comes is that psychology is the authority in that transaction. So if we have something that psychology says and something that God's Word says, God's Word has to submit to psychology. And if God's Word agrees with psychology, great, let's use it. But if God's Word says something different, then God's Word has to be changed, compromised, or completely ignored because psychology is king in that. So, very basic examples of what I'm talking about here. Psychology says that we're basically good. And we like that. We like feeling like those horrible things we do, that horrible thought that we have, those desires we have, that's not really who we are. We are basically good people. We just went astray somewhere. But God's word says that we are naturally wicked. We see this in Psalm 51.5. We see it in Romans 3, uh, verses 10 to 18. Uh, Psychology tells us that we are victims of our disorders, biology, or upbringing. We can't help it. We're just victims. It's something that was inflicted upon us. It's not my fault that I'm addicted. It's not my fault that I'm angry. It's not my fault that I'm lazy. It's, It's just something that was thrust upon me. The best I can do is to change my behaviors. But God's word says that we choose sin. Romans 6, 1 to 23, and James 1, 14 to 15. Uh, the James 1 is very key. It says that everyone is lured and enticed. We are tempted by our own desires. We are the ones who are choosing to give in to that which we want most. So that the horrible thought, you've, the worst thought you've ever had, the worst thing you've ever done, that is because that is what you wanted in that moment. You may not have liked what it did. You may not have liked the pain that it caused. But whenever we choose sin, it's because we choose sin. That's what God's Word reveals. Uh, Psychology tells us that we just don't love ourselves enough. And again, we love that. We want someone to tell us that I just need to make myself the most important. I need to take care of myself. I need to pursue my own happiness and and pursue my own bliss, right? That, That other people, we can't spend our lives serving others and loving others at the expense of ourselves. We need to make ourselves number one in our life, which is such a hollow worldview. But 2 Timothy 3.2 says that we love ourselves too much, right? So God's word at the warning of the end time. So when the world is basically on the verge of being judged by God for the sin on it, we are warned that one of the signs of the end times is that men will be lovers of self. That is a sign of the world being so bad that people love themselves too much. But that's what psychology promotes. Next, we, we save ourselves from unhappiness, or bad thoughts and actions. So, you know, a psychologist and a psychiatrist, they are valuable, right? They are experts in their field and they want to help people, but they are not the ones that do anything. They give you their expertise to help you to fix yourself, but you are the one that pulls yourself out of depression. You are the one who overcomes your anxiety. You are the one who overcomes your addictions. It's all on you and your efforts to save yourself. God's word says we have to be saved from sin by Jesus Christ, Romans 3, 21 to 26. Very clear statement here. I'm not just talking about being saved from the penalty of your sin, but also your desire to sin. Jesus Christ is still saving us every single day, not dying on the cross for us daily, but he is, is, he has given us the Holy Spirit 
to fight against our sin nature, right? We, we want to give in to our greed, our pride, our lusts. But we have the Holy Spirit in us who is pulling us away from that, who is teaching us not to do those things. But it's not us that does it. All we do is lay back and stop because our own efforts, the best thing we've ever done is deserve hell. We can do nothing to save ourselves from our sins, from our addictions, from our struggles. And finally, our greatest need in life is self-acceptance, happiness, or freedom. God's word says that our greatest need is to love and serve Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20 and Acts 4.12. Christ is our savior. Christ is our salvation. Christ is our identity. Go read that Galatians 2.20 passage. That tells us who and what we really are in this life. And we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves. We don't serve ourselves. We don't chase our own happiness. Our greatest need is not to be happy. If you think that's true, go read what happened to every single one of the apostles. Not a single one of them ended their life retiring on a beach just feeling good about themselves. They were all brutally slaughtered because of what they believed about Jesus Christ and what they called others to understand about their sin and their need for a savior. That is what psychology offers versus what God's word offers. Now, I'm going to say this really quick. If you are curious about an alternative psychology, write down biblical counseling. Um, it, is, it is not psychology using the Bible. It is basically pastoral care. It is saying, here's what God's word says about you and what you are experiencing. How can we understand your life in Christ to see you overcome that through the power of God? No one threw anything at me. That's awesome. So third way that we seek people to suit our desires is through Google. So we'll, we'll be a little more lighthearted, right? Google is the epitome of the devil and false teaching, right? No. What I'm really talking about is we use Google for something called confirmation bias. So really simply put, confirmation bias is we say, here's what I want to believe. Where can I go for someone to tell me that I'm right? Confirmation bias is not seeking truth. It's seeking our preferred truth. And we use that for Google every day. Now, people back way, you know, when, they would just have to find normal, regular folk to do it. But we have access to the greatest amount of information of all time. And with that is a whole lot of stuff that is not right. So when I think about this, I think of uh, when I was uh, saved for about 10 years but not following God. I think of people I've talked to. I think of conversations I've had um, with people online or seeing questions people ask. And people will ask things looking for someone to tell them either yes or no. They are looking for someone to itch their ears and use God's word to tell them what they want to believe. So I just have a quick list of stuff. I'm not going to dig into it. Um, but these are things where each and every, every single one of these, I have either um, tried to argue for this myself or I have seen people use the Bible to argue for them. Every single one of these can be defended from both sides with God's word. So can or should Christians get tattoos, smoke weed, be gay, support LGBTQ+, Drink alcohol? Can they lose their salvation? Can they look at porn? Is it all right if they believe in evolution? Can they do whatever before marriage? Can they do anything but sex? Can Christians kiss? Can they hold hands? Can they, you know, whatever? Um, can or should Christians support abortion? Can we have female pastors? And do Christians even need to go to church? All of these can be defended yes and no with God's word. So the point is not find people who will tell you what the Bible says. The point is to find people who will tell you what God says about it. Because it is very easy to take a verse, rip it out of context, and say, here's what God says. Have fun. Yeah. It is much, much harder, but so much more important to study 
everything that God's word has to say about a topic. Because God's word is not a rule book, it's not a rules manual, it's not a series of bullet points, it's not a contract where we can just find a single line to support what we want and say, aha, I've got you, God, you can't stop me because I've got it in your words right here. No, God's word is a, 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 a collection of books and writings of God's people of all time, divinely inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. But we cannot just read some words and think that we have studied God's Word. We have to study it. We have to understand it, learn about it, more than just a verse of the day or more than just Googling and seeing what verse pops up to help us believe what it is that we want to believe. Now, my timer is going bad on here. I don't... Ah, okay. All right, so we'll, um, we'll, we'll close this out a little more easily. So um, I want to end this, though. So we've seen... You know, Paul said it is so critical to make God's word your highest authority in life. We have seen what happens when it is not, when we allow God's word to be present in our life, but we find teachers to tell us the things that we already want to hear, the things that we want to believe are true. And so Paul kind of uh, makes just a little bit of a sandwich here by saying kind of the same thing. Uh, So he says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Then he says that I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul writes this on his deathbed. He he is on death row. He knows that his life is going to come to an end. Now you think about that. The last words that Paul gives to Timothy could have been anything. But Paul's greatest desire, his dying wish, was that Timothy stay true to sound teaching and not depart from the truth, not depart into Christian mythology. That is what this whole letter has been about, and that is how Paul ends it, is a call for biblical truth, for God's people to be mature, to love God's word, because if, I mean, if we believe what God's word says about salvation, why would we not value it for everything else in our life? God's word is so critical to our lives. And if we are not familiar with it, if it is not in front of us, if it is not acting as our shield against the world, then we are going to be conformed to the world. You can still have a Bible in your hand. You can have Bible verses on your coffee cups and on your your, uh, social media page and all that. You can use the Bible all the live long day, but that does not guarantee that you are in the truth, that you are truly following the will of God in your life. It is only by being intimately familiar with God's word and knowing that God's word is above all else in your life and living a life that reflects that so that you can say and I can say that at the end of our life that we fought the good fight for truth, that we have finished this race and that we have kept the faith and we can only keep the faith by knowing God's word, what it says about how we are to live so that we can live in this world, be lights in the darkness and truly love our God in everything that we do. So as Paul uh, just finishes up um, 2 Timothy, and as we end it here tonight, uh, just some takeaways, because I know, again, it was a crunchy one. I fully understand that. Um, but just some, some basic takeaways that I want us to keep in mind. Number one is that God's word is our highest authority, so we want to read and study it to know what is true. Number two is that failing to know the Bible lets us get truth elsewhere. We won't accidentally stumble into it, but it gives us permission because we don't know what truly is true. It gives us permission to just go and grab our own truth from someone else. We'll get it from false teachers who feed our desires, from psychology that will tell us who we are and therefore what we need, or just other Christians online willing to confirm what we want to believe. And finally, with Paul's dying words, we want our lives to be marked by a constant pursuit of truth and a rejection of the lies 
that we want to believe. So as we break into the small groups, as you are, um, I hope, really just dwelling on what God's Word has kind of taught us tonight, really ask yourself, whenever you are seeking truth in the Bible, are you pursuing the truth that God has revealed, or do you just want to choose the truth that you prefer? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 